You're listening to Data Plus Love. I'm your host, Zach Bowders, and I'm here today with data designer, Christina Gorgia. Um, my friend from Virginia, although not originally, is a designer at Booz Allen Hamilton, and you've probably seen her all over the interwebs at various speaking engagements, as well as activities with Moms Who Viz. How are you doing tonight, Christina? I am doing okay. I am sipping tea right now, rooibos uh, preferred, and um, just generally settling into my evening and talking to you. So, yeah. So I'm counteracting the calming effects of the tea. I'm, I'm assuming so, but I, it's it's all good. It's all good. I, I've been nursing nursing the crud, as you 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 mentioned that your wife had that today too. So I'm I'm nursing a crud. Yeah, my wife's an attorney and she had a hearing this morning and then somehow she stumbled home and uh, was like a, I don't know, a phlegm zombie just kind of makes her way into the house. I don't feel good. I brought you cheesecake. I'm like, I don't know if I want that cheesecake now. (laughs) Um, And then it's sort of been convalescing with like Vicks Vapor Rub and I turned on like a humidifier. So she's downstairs right now and the kids are ostensibly asleep like next door. Um, I don't know though. Now, I, I'm podcasting and I say, I'm podcasting now, be quiet. And they usually respect that. I'm so proud of your daughters for doing that. For I, the th- dad. I think they're proud of me. Like one time I let them listen to the podcast in the car and it happened to be the one. Um, it was my own data. Ask them anything where Mark was interviewing me. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions was like, what was the most annoying thing your spouse does? I'm like, oh, it's how my wife drinks out of like, you know, giant like Perrier bottles, like pirate. And that's the part I play where my kids are in the car. Like, oh, I'm telling mom. I'm like, oh, great. Like, I'm like, first, she knows we've talked about it. But like, second, it's like, great. Now she knows that I said it on a podcast, a podcast that hundreds of people listen to. And by hundreds, I mean like 200, not like Now I just have this great image of your wife, who of course I've never met. I've seen a picture of her. And now I just have this like great picture, an image of her, like with one leg, like on top of like a couch, the other one, like chugging on like Perrier bottle. She, she, she has done that once, but what she really does is she like takes it. She throws her head back just like, and, and like totally inverts the bottle and like then smacks it down and goes like, ah, like it's just incredibly satisfying. I, I think she feels happier doing that than I have doing anything. <laughs> That's something. I know, right? So um, you have been incredibly busy lately. And as I've bemoaned in a previous episode, one of the downsides of interacting with people primarily through social media is you keep getting served what you already got. So if you haven't talked to someone lately, they slip further away. And the person you talk to last is the next thing you get again. So you keep getting in smaller and smaller circles. So we used to talk almost every day. And then we sort of haven't talked too much lately. And then as I was reconnecting with you and getting ready for the podcast, I was going back through your feed. I'm like, holy crap, Christina is like talking everywhere lately. Like you have become an incredibly (laughs) prolific speaker. And um, what's, what's up with that? What's with all the speaking? I don't know. I guess it's like one way to kind of like connect with people in this last like sort of couple of months or so. I'm like finally feeling like a, you know, I'm in a rhythm and I want to be able to kind of talk about the various awesome things, not even just like me, not, not even just about me, but like what other people and what we're trying to do in the community. And this is a lot of what a lot of us have been working on lately is the Moms Who Viz um, group and kind of community within 
you know, mostly it's sort of out of tableau. We're, we're, we, we can talk about this, but um, a lot of the, um, you know, sort of my motivation for talking about this, especially in the um, aftermaths and the current situation that we're in with COVID-19 and this impacting a lot of working mothers, I felt like this is actually the perfect time to really start talking and elevating this discussion within not even just in the data community, but also outside of it too, because moms have been very directly impacted by um, the, the lack thereof in policies within companies, as well as by our federal government. And so what are the ways that we're kind of trying to mitigate that, but also, you know, more niche, like within our community, like how are we um, navigating this? How are we supporting each other? How can we get our teams and other people that we work with to support us and our work. Um, you know, how do we not lose sight of like what we have accomplished in, you know, the last couple of decades? I know that's like very big picture, but, you know, not trying to lose sight of like what we're trying to do here. Um, so yeah, like big picture things, but, you know, really important things because, um, this pandemic has affected so many of my colleagues, especially those that not even just at Booz Allen, but, also within the tablet community. And so being able to hear and listen to other people that have been going through a lot more than even I have this year has been really eye-opening and really giving me sort of, sort of a motivation to really, um, you know, stick it out for other people that, you know, really need that support and that encouragement this year. So yeah, big, big picture things with like the moms who viz, but in general, like that's been kind of my, um, I think it's kind of kept me going, but also I've been creatively like doing some kind of cool like side projects too. So some of which do not end up on Tableau Public, but um, I'm still doing stuff behind the scenes nonetheless. So I, I tend to be one of those people that's kind of more of like, I don't know, like a more of a social connector within the data fam. I may not always be producing like actual things that you see out there, but I'm really trying to connect other people with each other across the community. And that's kind of like where I've sort of felt my niche and what I do best. So yeah, just trying to continue doing that, even in a time where a lot of us feel very disconnected to each other. So yeah, so that's what I've been up to. I definitely understand that finding your niche thing. Like I know for me, um, when I first started engaging with people making like data viz, and obviously like you and I are pretty like involved with like Tableau stuff online, but we're also trying to sort of expand out beyond that, which is something I've always kind of struggled with, like trying to find purchase elsewhere as well, because as much as I love Tableau and Tableau is sort of my primary tool, I also use Alteryx and I'm interested in data viz as a topic rather than mm -hmm. just like a sort of tool specific thing. Um, but I know for me, when I was trying to figure out like, where do I fit in this? I was always like looking at the really technical people that were like yeah. making the really cool stuff. And I'm like, well, that's not me. And then I look at the, like the people that write the blogs and I'm like, that's not me. Uh. And it's like, you sort of look at other examples and it, it's very much one of those things where oftentimes, like if you don't see something that looks like what you want to do somewhere, you feel like maybe there's not a spot. And I think for me, it's sort of, um, by hanging out with like you and Vince Baumel, I saw you two as like sort of cheerleaders and super connectors. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I, I was really drawn to where I'm like, oh, look, it's like, you don't have to like be like Alexander Varlamov who like creates the most insanely technical, brilliant thing. Oh my God. They're amazing. By right? the way. To, like, to have a oh. place here. It's like you, you can be the person 
that uh, looks at what somebody did. It's like, wow, I'm really impressed how you did this. Or that introduces someone to someone else. You can be like sort of the cheerleader, which is how I always thought of, of what I like to do. And like, there's a lot of value to that because honestly, a lot of people out there, you know, in their workspace or maybe their personal projects don't really get a lot of that, you know, especially mm -hmm. once we're all remote, like yeah. you've lost all that contact you might've had at work where you sort of had like casual knowledge transfer or, you know, even just like casual connections with like work friends and colleagues and stuff. Mm -hmm. So just having someone there to like sort of observe and like acknowledge your existence and to say that like, Hey, you know, I'm seeing like some real growth in you or, yeah. you know, that's an interesting choice you made. I wouldn't have thought of that. You know, it's like that can, that can really make a difference to somebody, but you don't think of it, you know? Yeah. I would always say like, it's, it's funny. Cause I actually, um, so Booz Allen, we have a women in data science group and there was something that they have in their sponsorship pillar that I saw actually today. And they said that they're having this new thing that they're calling hype sessions for like basically elevating like other women doing awesome stuff within the community, but you know, who may or may not, um, you know, self-congratulate themselves. So I was like, oh, okay. So maybe that's kind of loosely what I am. Maybe I'm like the data fam hype woman. <laughs> that's awesome. So I'm like, that's a really good way to put it. I'm like, we should do that more. We should have like indirect, like hashtag hype sessions for each other. But I'm like, that's, that's not a bad way to describe me. If you probably could like put like a, mm, like a finger on like whatever it is that I kind of like try to do the most and whatever feels the most like me, I'm like, yeah, I'm data hype woman. So that's kind of where I am. You need to put that on your Twitter profile. I probably should hype woman. You also yep. need like a, like a clock on a chain around your neck or something like some sort of flavor flavish. Flav you know. Flav. Oh man, that was good <laughs> stuff in the mid 2000s. Man, that was that uh, that was that was a time. It was a time. Bootcut jeans and um very uh interesting hemlines for the ladies on the dresses and the skirts. Yes. Bootcut jeans are my jam and they still are because like like my thighs are significantly larger than my calves. So like skinny jeans or like straight jeans, like I, I feel like I look weird, but bootcut jeans, I feel like I'm proportional. Like, yeah, this is, this is getting raw people, but yeah, like those are the days like skinny jeans, which I know are out now. I don't know what's oh. in I'm, I'm 39. Uh, as I found out when I pulled a tendon in my bicep while sleeping the other week. Um, <laughs> so yeah, as I was revealing to Christina today, like I was on a team's call and I was looking at my face like, oh, I have gotten so fat because um, in addition to sort of COVID and less activity, like I used to walk about 15,000 steps a day and now I'm like pushing six, maybe um, uh, taking prednisone, I didn't realize makes you really puffy. So that, that was a fun revelation. I was on a call. I'm like, oh no. But on the other <laughs> hand, like it hurts less and I can actually sleep at night. I'm so proud. I have to take melatonin now to go to sleep at night. It's been, it's been a tough couple of months, man. <laughs> you know what? I don't think anyone can blame you. Like it's, it's been a really hard time for a lot of people. Like, yeah, and I laugh I, about it, but like in, in that honestly, sometimes the only way I can really get through a lot of this stuff is just by like chuckling a little bit and laughing because we're all kind of going through this same thing together in various other ways. So like, for me, it's like melatonin and I have like sort of like a bedtime routine now where I try and not, you know, watch too many screens and stuff like before bedtime. Cause otherwise if I don't do that, my sleep gets wrecked. 
And so, yeah. And now I'm like, like, you know, I'm a little bit younger than you. I'm a, you know, I'm a couple years younger than you, but yeah, I totally agree with you on the whole, like, um, slim jeans are out thing. Like I, or skinny jeans are out. I'm like, oh man, I've been rocking that since like 2006, man. Like <laughs> skinny jeans must never die. Like the, and, and also like the, the tighter, the skinny jeans, the better, like, especially when I would, and this is harking back to my slash like emo slash like scene days (laughs) (laughs) I would wear like the skinniest like pair of like black jeans with my um chalk tailors that I would write like my favorite lyrics to songs wow oh man like we're just just saying everything this episode yeah I I I have um I I did have in this this will make you chuckle but I did have like MCR lyrics like on my chalk tailors back in the day oh man like are we talking like welcome to the black parade or Uh, or no like from their first album um yeah yeah, so stuff from um not helena it was um i'm not okay i promise song have you ever seen wow yeah i'm harking back to a time man it was it was a it was a time Look, I, I'm, I'll, I'll be straight with you. I'm a bit of an MCR fan myself, although I'm a bit of a Danger Days era uh, fan uh, myself. Okay. I, I can feel that. I can feel all of that stuff. So I was supposed to go, well, supposed to go last year, but they've um, pushed it to this September. We'll see if it actually happens. But I was supposed to go to the, um, oh gosh, what is it? It's a big concert in Chicago and um, My Chemical Romance was announced as one of the... Um, the head runners for it oh my god this is gonna drive me batty like what was the concert i was supposed to go to in chicago this september and i'm like this is definitely like not aging me but okay let me but see if i can not find not this. aging you either no it's not not aging me but it's definitely uh riot fest yes riot fest yes i was supposed to go to riot fest <laughs> Wow. Okay. With my, yeah. be- with my best buddy, Andrew Nagoya. Hashtag love you. But, Again, yeah. she's drinking tea and I have a glass of water here. Like we don't have anything <laughs> we can blame on this other than friendship and overall awkwardness. Yep. It's okay. Wow. But yep. NCR for life. And I was so excited when they uh, announced that they were going to do a reunion set of concert tour dates and i was like oh my god and then COVID happened i'm like no sadness but well i'm a bit of a gerard way fan outside of music as well because he is also a comic book author known mostly for the umbrella academy which is is now a netflix hit although like season two honestly like the second half of it really tapered off for me and sort of Mm. my enthusiasm waned i don't i don't know if it was just the story or if i just preferred season one but overall, it's it's that kind of quirky show that you really need. And uh, Klaus is the best. Yeah, I agree. It's a fun show. Not a whole, But the funny thing is that it seems to have a very niche fandom. Because I only really heard about it through like word of mouth that it was on Netflix. And it wasn't until like weeks later. It's like, oh, that's Gerard Way's show. Oh, I need to go watch this. And then I ended up really liking it. So, And I wasn't even a fan of the comic thing at all so i wouldn't blame you especially since in terms of comic it's a niche comic uh gerard way is a bit of a disciple of a scottish writer named grant morrison who is sort of he's very big in comics and he's done some mainstream stuff that performed very well but really he does a lot of heady really weird out there stuff and gerard way is very much aping grant morrison who wrote doom patrol 
uh, for a while, which is also on TV right now. And uh, hey, it's in Doom Patrol. It's um, oh my God, is Brendan Fraser on that? Yes, Grant uh, oh. Brendan Fraser does the voice of Robot Man. And here's another fun fact about Doom Patrol: Grant Morrison didn't create it. It was actually created pretty much within a month of the time the X Men were created, but by DC. So DC and Marvel both had similar properties of outcast characters with leaders that were in wheelchairs that came out within a month of each other. And that wasn't something that could have been copied because these things have like long production schedules and stuff. So both of these things hit like within a month or two of each other. And uh, despite the fact that X-Men lives on today and Doom Patrol is still super niche, X-Men almost got canceled. In fact, it went to reprints for quite some time because it was not a hit in the beginning. It only became a hit like in the 80s. I am learning so much right now about (laughs) X-Men. Oh, but going, going again, you know what? It's like, this is, sorry, sorry, people. Like we're so far off the rails, but going back to Gerard Way, Gerard Way is such a Grant Morrison fan that in the Danger Days music videos, the bald guy, that's the villain. That's Grant Morrison. There you go. It all goes back to that. And I just learned a bunch of things that I did not know about that. Wow. And and people are going to listen to this and say, well, Zach, how'd you know all that? And I'll just say, yeah, I could be better at my job. Like, like all, all the space in my head that, uh, that has stuff like that there could be like, you know, I could know Python. Yeah, man. What are you going to do? You could, you could win it like some form of, I don't know, Jeopardy or something. If it was like all pop culture content, I guess. If only, right. Yeah. Like, I feel like, Ooh, actually, that's a really good question for you. If you, if you were to like be awesome at Jeopardy, like what categories would you probably excel in wow well not sports i might have a (laughs) an off shot at history because i do like um i do like biographies and i do like history podcasts and that sort of thing but Mm -hmm. i don't know like um zeitgeist can we do zeitgeist like that yeah yeah we'll do sure sure so you recently spoke uh, at something for Doc Kev Elder. He's doing I that did. professor for a day thing. You yeah. did a thing on user experience. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So th- some people know this in the data community, but like some don't that actually, so my first step in, or my first part of my career was actually training to be a cognitive scientist. So my PhD work was actually on sort of the efficacy of certain study methods for K-12 students. But a lot of what goes into that is helping to build a better educational experience for kids. Um, And the funny thing about it is that there's a lot of shades of that that kind of come through with the work that I do in data visualization, you know, like 10 plus years later that I'm now invested in that career. And I'm like, oh yeah, there's a lot of like really applicable like data visualization and psychology research out there that helps prove that there are certain better ways to present information to people. So um, in the class where I did it for Doc, we did it on Super Bowl Sunday is when we actually taped it because we actually taped it in, in advance for his students to actually watch. But I walked him through a couple of um, scenarios on perception um, attention and perception research that has been very, um, let's put it this way. There's, there's certain like perception and attention theories 
that help prove that there are certain better ways for people to um, get information than others. And then another thing that I talked about, which I think that a couple of other people in the, you know, like broader, like data community have talked about a little bit, but gestalt psychology, which actually kind of, it predates a lot of what you would call like modern, like cognitive and social psychology, but it's all about how you present information in like concise ways. So like the way that you group things, the way that you highlight things actually goes along a lot with like gestalt theories. So um, yeah, so like in general, I just, I, I presented a couple of things that kind of harken back to my cognitive psychologist days, cognitive science, cognitive psychologist, both kind of interchangeable uh, days. And that was very unusual because you don't usually see people that are like, oh, I'm a cognitive scientist, but I know how to apply this to like my day job now. But the funny thing is I talk with a lot of people that have been, you know, we call each other like post-academics. So we're all people that for one reason or another, we left like the academic path, like you know, most people would say like, oh, you need to become like a postdoc fellow. And then you need to become like a faculty member at an R1 like university. And it's like, but not all of us want that. So, I mean, think early on for me, it was that I just didn't want to spend my life, you know, <sighs> working in a lab. I love science, but it's a very isolating experience. And for somebody like myself, who is very like extroverted and likes to be around people, and I get a lot of energy from being around people, that doesn't seem like the most like wonderful experience in the long term <laughs> to do. So um, then, and also I just, I wasn't all that interested in the path that was set before me. First and foremost, it's like, I just wanted to be able to do more applied work. And the mere fact that I was going to be writing articles that were going to be for like a very like sub specialty niche of cognitive psychology maybe would only be read by like 10 people in the world just was very demotivating for me and so it's like if my stuff isn't going to be read by people it's like I don't really care like it's it's like caring but not caring about that so I thought why can't I use my skill set and use it towards something else very different now of course back then when I was making that transition, I didn't know that DataVis was going to be the thing that would allow me to do other things. I just thought, okay, I'm going to get like a policy analyst or like an education research position because that's a good like bridge between, you know, academic work and like the real world, you know, we call it the real world or industry, but you know, that was kind of the bridge between that. And then in that bridge, I found that I really love DataViz. And it was because I had a really awesome boss that was like, hey, I see potential in you. I think you would be awesome at, you know, exploring like stuff with, you know, basically redesigning our reports or program evaluation reports. Maybe you can hook up with like these couple of people who are doing awesome things in the data community. And one of those people that basically my boss introduced me to for coffee is Anne Emery. She was living in the DC area at that time. We immediately clicked. She was doing something that I'm like, oh my gosh, you're doing awesome work. And she was doing it with Excel. And I'm like, holy crap, you're doing all this stuff in Excel. Like that's crazy. But she had such like a knack for like presenting it to people that were you know, not data savvy people at all. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can totally do this. And she had a psychology background. I had a psychology background. It just made total sense. So um, I just kind of like made my path for through that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting when I do get to talk to people 
that are not from a psychology background, but being able to blend like all the parts of my career together, even though on a resume, it probably looks like a very S-shaped path because that is the way that a lot of careers work. And I don't think that, you know, I think one of the things that people don't realize is that the majority of us that are in this career right now, probably a lot of us did, you know, various other things before we came to doing what we do now. And I will definitely tell people like, I really like the work that I do now, you know, like day to day, maybe something like sucks one way or another, but like overall, like I'm really happy with the path that I've been able to do because it takes all the strengths from like other things that I've done in the past and it kind of combines them together. So it's only with something like this that we do. It's like, I don't know if I, if I would have done other careers, if I had not found something that allows me to work on the strengths of other things that I've done in the past. So it is weird how life works like that, but yeah, it's the S shaped path is not necessarily the bad thing. It's really interesting that like, you know, for, for fo- older folks like us in our thirties, um, who like for a lot of us, there weren't analytics programs when we were in college. It wasn't even mm-hmm. really sort of recognized necessarily as a career path. I mean, I'm sure there were jobs out there, but, uh, I went to school for like ITS and I, yeah. uh, MIS or something. Yeah. God, it was so long ago now. I'm so old, Christina. It's okay. But, we're all old. <laughs> but like, it's, it's, it's interesting that there, there are going to be like generational divisions in terms of analytics, because there are going to be people that discovered analytics from different paths that they entered in. Like mm-hmm. our friend, David Kelly was a French major, you know, it's like yeah. he, he found his way into analytics um, from French to IT to analytics and that sort of thing, which IT and analytics are totally different functions. Uh, which, which, by yeah. the way, that's hilarious to me. So like my whole background is like French Canadian on my dad's side. I should probably talk to David about that at some point because oh, my, should. yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, do you know if he's still speaks? Any? <laughs> I don't know. Like he and I go for a walk like four times a week and like, I've never heard him say a word of French. Okay, well, it's probably because he's nobody in Memphis to speak French with. It's been a while for me too, but yeah, no, that's wild. I didn't know that he had spoken French. Huh? There we it go. To- it totally is, and it's like we're gonna have this new generation. Like you have like Maria Brock, who works at Booz Allen Hamilton with yeah. you now, also, and like she sort of comes straight in, right? Like she was mm-hmm. uh, doing this stuff in college and that sort of thing. So you're gonna see people that are sort of like native data people. And then sort of people that were like data adopters that came from different disciplines or different backgrounds and stuff. And I wonder if like, maybe the native data people are going to have more tools under their belt more quickly. Right. But maybe maybe like the people that took the, the weirder path to get there, and there's still going to be plenty of them uh, in the future. uh, Maybe they're going to have like unorthodox perspectives that they bring to the field uh, that might not have made it there. And I think that there's a place for both of them. It's interesting that you say that because like Maria, I think also, I'm not going to like talk too much about her because she's not on this call, but I think Maria actually comes from like an econ background too. Like even though she has taken like a data path, I think even her own degree is not what you would truly call like a, you know, data analytics, like role, even though econ does involve like quite a bit of like statistics, it's, it's sort of interesting. It's like, there's a lot of different pathways to getting to where we are now, but yeah, like you and me and maybe, um, 
actually a good chunk of us, like probably in our generation, like the millennials, I guess, like the older millennials, most of us didn't have, you know, like a data analytics, like formal training. I think the majority of us, I think, what was I looking at? This is um, the Data Visualization Society. They put out a survey every year. I think it was Elijah Meeks that brought it out like last year, the year before. Anyways, I was looking at the results and it still is overwhelmingly no formal training for a lot of people, like at least those that responded to the survey, a lot of people don't have formal training in data viz because it's just not something that many colleges really have formal class, you know, coursework in. Um, the only couple of programs I've seen are like mostly MIS, like master's degrees and like business analytics. There are some formal data science programs. And then of course, like Micah, the, the Maryland like Institute of uh, Art in Baltimore, they have an information visualization master's program. Um, it's a, I think it's like a one-year program, but one or two year, and I'm sorry if I'm not getting that correct, but I don't see a whole lot of like truly like a visualization degree. It doesn't really, at least to my knowledge, I don't think that it really exists, at least not in a large amount in this country yet. I'm sure that probably people are making their own independent study degrees, maybe. There's got to be people out there right now in college that are like, I'm going to make myself my own visualization degree because I can. <laughs> I, I would love that. I hope like like some Steve Wexler presentations and the big book of dashboards are part of that. Like I'm, I'm hoping for stuff like that. Or, you know, I, I want people that are totally like punk rock data viz people that are coming into this and uh, just totally see it differently than we do. And maybe yeah. uh, break some of the rules and make us think about some stuff differently. Cause you know, we already have like, there, there's like an orthodoxy, right. And in many ways to data viz, like stuff that when data viz started, you know, at the beginning of time, um, mm -hmm. but like over, over time, obviously over hundreds of years, we've seen different representations of it. And now it's sort of codifying, right? Like mm -hmm. there are, there are kind of rules like, Hey, don't use red unless you want it to mean something bad. You know, that that's one of the more obvious ones or yeah. alternatively don't make your background red if you want people to care about anything else. But, um, <laughs> it, it would be interesting to, I like when people push the envelope a little bit and I'm not saying it needs to be that way for like, a, yeah. I don't know, business dashboard you make for AT&T or something, but, um, that's one of the fun things about seeing what people put online because mm -hmm. it's not necessarily what they do for work. And sometimes yeah. it's a big swing and a miss and you look at something you're like, wow, we shouldn't do that. And then other times it's, uh, people take a big risk and it's like, I never thought this would work. I, this is, um, it's unusual. And I'm thinking about like a lot of stuff like Tuan does, you know, how he's always sort of hacking, uh, particularly oh, yeah. in Tableau and making charts that I I've joked in the past are like, um, data viz war crimes where I'm like, no, this should never exist. Don't, don't make like four dimensional bar charts. Like why? Yeah. But someone's going to take one of those charts and find a use case for one of those. And you when they do, know, it's man. going to be amazing. Yeah, I mean, there's a place for all kinds of people doing all kinds of crazy shiz in the community. I don't see a problem with that. And to be honest, like going back to like formal versus informal training, like I come from a liberal arts college background. You couldn't even imagine like even 10 years ago, me like graduating from college and being like, yeah, I'm going to do data analytics, like data biz as my role. Like what? I probably would have been totally confused as to why 
people were showing me like the Napoleon like battle this for like one of my first things to like intro like what I was going to do for the rest of my life like here you go this is what you're going to be doing and it's like a very indecipherable like chart <laughs> that's the worst gatorade drug of all time by the way that's like doing <laughs> bath salts at, like to it's like to start with like oh i mean God. admittedly once you fully comprehend what's going on because you're interpreting like five different dimensions of data simultaneously you're like wow that's really brilliant but it took a lot of effort to get to the point where you can fully grasp that and you probably had to have someone sit down with you and hold mm -hmm. your hand and explain every aspect of it. And a lot of times we're trying to, a lot of times you don't get to sit next to the thing you made and present it. You sort of have to hand it over and mm -hmm. God willing, like whoever finds it is going to be able to interpret it. So it's like, that's one of the, the <laughs> double-edged sword of that. Like you can make something brilliant that requires explanation, but you might not get to explain it. So if, mm -hmm. if you're unable to, like, what do you do in that case? True, true. Yeah. But yeah, in general, like, I don't, I don't see any problem with like putting out crazy stuff out there. Honestly, I think the more the better. <laughs> but that's just because I, I like welcome all the people into the tribe. And that's just kind of who I am. But others may see it differently. But you know, I try and give people credit where they need to. So yeah. Speaking of giving credit where it's due, it looks like you have a couple more speaking engagements coming up in the near future. Do you want to talk about those? I do. Yeah. So um, coming up on, this is March 30th. So a handful of us from the Moms Who Viz group. So there's a handful of us that are, you know, like fairly involved. We talk to each other about, um, you know, the trials and tribulations of being a working mom, doing data visualization as their primary role. Um, so I'll be speaking with Lindsay Betzendahl, who runs like Project Health Viz, a bunch of other initiatives in the data community, as well as Michelle Freeman, who also does a lot of other things in the data community. And we're speaking at the Data Plus Women Germany um, on March 30th. So we're doing a panel for that. So if you're at all interested um, in also just mingling with uh, the European uh, Data Plus Women ladies, feel free to do so. And also if you're a dude or, you know, gender neutral, totally okay. Come join. It'll be a good time. Um, and then I'm also starting to do some stuff outside of the Tableau community. So I am giving a talk at uh, the DC DataViz community meetup, and that's on March 11th. And it's going to be loosely on, you know, how do we manage our creativity during a time like right now, this pandemic, when you're running on empty. So being able to figure out some solutions and ways to mitigate going through withdrawals of creativity for our jobs. So some things that have helped worked for my work team and uh, hopefully they might, you know, you can try them out and see if they work for you. I think that's awesome. I think everyone needs a, a little shot in the arm right now because there's fatigue. You know, people haven't been able to interact with other humans normally. And even if you're an introvert, like uh, it, it does wear you down eventually. And I mean, just the fact that we're not getting the sort of uh, creative exposure you'd get mm -hmm. normally, like we can all browse the internet and watch TV all we want, but like 
going for a walk or going to a concert or even to your church or house of worship or whatever, like all those kinds mm-hmm. of things sort of recharge and energize people. And a yeah. lot of people haven't been able to do a lot of that for over a year. Um, yeah, it's been frustrating. I actually just saw something the other day that said that um, there's going to be a couple of museums finally reopening in D.C., um, one of them is actually one of my favorites to just kind of like walk through. It's the Phillips collection. It has one of the largest collections of impressionist art in the country besides uh, Chicago's like Art Institute. So it's a great way to kind of like spend a, a lazy like Saturday afternoon. It's just kind of like walking through there. And I loved um, being able to see, oh gosh, what's the name of the painting? It's um, it's the uh, the boat, the boat luncheon. Um, it's a pretty famous painting, but that's probably one of the more famous paintings that they have at the Phillips collection. But yeah, I, I like Spain being able to spend time like going to museums and art galleries, even with my own daughter, I would love to be able to take her to like a museum and like, just kind of like let her go, um, have some fun with me. But yeah, it's been, it's been really tough, like not being able to do like, even just the general, like arts and culture things that kind of keep me going. And, uh, yeah. So, and I, I like to travel too. So like not being able to do a lot of travel really outside of like this region and even outside of the country for that matter has been kind of tough. And so um, I'm hoping that in t- maybe 2022, I might be able to go um, where I was supposed to go last year. We were, my husband and I were supposed to go to France and that got obviously um, shelved. So hoping next year, might be able to do an international trip because I find that for me, that's always a good way for me to get my creative juices flowing again. I remember when I went to go to, um, this is Ireland, like back in early 2018, like after I came back from that trip, I was like, holy crap. I like want to do like all these like interesting projects and stuff because it was only just because I was able to turn it off for like 10 days that that allowed me to do that. And I don't think that people are really good at just like turning it off for, you know, even at a couple of days at a time, it was just nice to be able to be just kind of not really on a schedule and kind of really not doing anything in particular. So really looking forward to that, but trying to build in as much like leeway and as much, you know, structure and then not structure right now for things when I do get, you know, quote unquote time off to do things. So one of the things I do, and most people that know me know this, but um, I I do like, eh, I I enjoy and I imbibe and like craft beer. So I live in what is kind of termed as like Northern Virginia's like wine and beer country. So I live in Loudoun County. It's about 40 minutes outside of DC, but the further you go West, like the further you get into like farms and like rolling Hills and like the edge of the Blue Ridge mountains. And it's really pretty, but it's also a really great place to go have some really good food and get some really good wine and beer. So I like to be able to have that even just in my backyard. So that's been kind of helpful and sort of a respite for this year. Cause I know that my friends that live in like closer into DC and like Arlington, they don't have as many places to like escape because of, you know, just density. Now granted like DC is not like New York city. Like we don't, we don't have the density, like people like literally living on top of each other issue that we, you know, we don't really have that so much in DC. There's a little bit more green space, but still with so many things being closed, it's been like, oh man, it's like, I just want to like 
I want to get out. It's like the queen song. Like I want to break free. I feel like that half the time. (laughs) And I, I trust me. I'm like, I just want to be able to like leave the DC region like for once. So, but it's, it's nice to have like the mountains and Shenandoah is only about, you know, it's about an hour away. I live like about an hour from Shenandoah national park. So there's lots of places that I can go not too far away. And of course, West Virginia, if you're feeling that. So (laughs) (laughs) if you're feeling like going to country roads, take me home, John Denver and, ding 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 i don't know (laughs) sorry for anybody listening to this it's from west virginia (laughs) our apologies to west virginia yep anyway all i think about west virginia now is logan lucky that movie's spectacular everyone should see logan lucky oh my god is daniel craig is in that doing a crazy like southern accent isn't he it's legit it's I think I fell asleep. You're going to laugh at me. Like, I think I fell asleep on the couch starting to watch that movie. <laughs> That's fair. But I mean, it's it's the um, it's the Southern Oceans 11 directed by the director of Oceans 11. And uh, all the accents are extremely legit. And uh, it's just a lot of weird fun. I need to watch that in full again. My husband was laughing at me. He's like, why did you fall asleep during this movie? It was hysterical. I'm like, I don't know why. <laughs> But then, of course, I watched uh, Daniel Craig in Knives Out, which was probably one of my favorite movies of the last, like, couple of years. So, and he has sort of a Southern uh, drawl in that one, too. He had the aristocratic Savannah accent in that, uh, rather than the terrifying hillbilly accent uh, from Logan Lucky. <laughs> but yeah, he he's the master of Southern dialects. Adam Driver has a phenomenal Southern accent in that movie. And Channing Tatum is always just fine in whatever he does. I mean, he's not, he's not terrible. Channing yeah. Tatum is in the center of the Venn diagram. Okay, there's a Venn diagram. One side is likable. The other mm-hmm. side is punchable face. Channing Tatum is the middle of that. He's likable, but has a punchable face. Dave Franco is just over at punchable face. Mm, like yeah. Andrew Garfield's over just at likable. <laughs> I'm kind of like trying to think of like who I would put on the punchable face group. But I think on the likable, but maybe punchable face, I would also put Taron Egerton. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I do like him though. I, I saw him in... Um, was it the Elton John movie? The yeah. he was good. That was surprisingly good. And I saw that like just postpartum, like after I had had Emma, and they have these things called like the like mommy like movie thing at the Alamo Draft House. So I was able to take Emma, and she's like you know a month old, and I just have her strapped in my um, one of those like wrap things, and I'm just drinking a beer and I'm watching Taron Egerton dancing around doing Elton John for like you know, a hundred minutes. It was, it was a good escape. I liked it, but yeah, I definitely liked that one more than the queen one, which somebody might like come and get me for that. But I definitely liked it a little bit more. Rami Malik is on my punchable face spectrum, but not likable. Yeah. Like I like Rami Malik in, um, like Mr. Robot. Or... Yeah. Mr. Robot. But I just, I don't know. I feel like I was one of those people like initially I'm like, okay, am I supposed to like this queen movie? I don't know. And I'm like, I'm such a huge, like, I'm a, such a huge queen fan. But I love queen. I love queen. But for some reason that just, that movie like just did not gel with me. I don't know why I could probably go on for hours about like why I didn't feel totally great about that film. And how well, he didn't him. sing. I don't think he sang the parts. I think Taron yeah. Egerton actually sang in his Elton John movie. He did. I think and it makes really, a difference. 
I think it did. And honestly, he had his own like flavor and vibe for it. You could definitely tell that it was like, you know, obviously not Elton John singing it, but he's, he's a triple threat. Like he, he's good. And I love him in um, Kingsman service. Oh my God. That is such a great. Oh, it's so good. And, and I believe so many... Kingsman 2 came out the same year as the Elton John movie, which had Elton John in it as himself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is quite of like a very um, Inception-y thing there. Yeah. But it's, yeah, I, I really like Taron Egerton. I could probably go on a bit about, I don't know. I, I really like him. But yeah, the Elton John thing was definitely much much better i don't know like daniel craig it's so frustrating for me it's like daniel craig like doing james bond for a while just like he looks so unhappy doing specter and i fell asleep during specter ah i'm like hoping that this last one when they eventually release it was it no time to die or something i can't remember what the next bond this is is, this is the bond movie that before finding out Daniel Craig would be coming back, which means they like crashed several Brinks trucks in front of his house. He had said to the press that he would slit his wrists before he did James Bond again. So this is going to be great folks. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. He looked depressed as hell in the the preview. So (laughs) I'm, I'm just looking forward to maybe having, I don't know, maybe, maybe can, can we, can we have Idris Elba please as, as Bond? Please, I would love an Edris Alba as Bond, but I know I'm like putting my hopes up too much. But as a longtime like Bond fan, rest in peace, Sean Connery. Um, I gotta put it out there that's still my all-time favorite, and people are gonna laugh at this. Like, I think Roger Moore is still my favorite Bond. That's but, a hot take. Yeah, I think we should just end take. on that. Yeah, like Roger Ta- Roger, <laughs> Roger Moore is Moore Christina's is a- favorite Bond. <laughs> let's let's all laugh about that. <laughs> <laughs> but he did have some of the best theme songs for his films. I mean, you have Paul McCartney and Wings like entering your era as Bond, and then you have Duran Duran ending your era as Bond. And those are like the two best, like quote unquote, songs of like that era for Bond films. But then, of course, there's Skyfall for Daniel Craig. So that's a I can't one refute too. this. I can't refute that. No, not at all. But definitely like um live and let die is still the the best bond song ever of all time the end the end (laughs) end. is there anyone you would like to shout out or anything you'd like to promote Uh, you've got your data plus women talk coming up uh, in germany on march 30th march 11th you've got your um what is that the dc database community running uh for when you're running empty creatively anything else you want to bring up See, my thing is like, I don't like leaving people out um, because I love, I love all my people out there. She's unrolling a list, folks. There's a, there's a, there's a list, but um, no, I, I mean, honestly, for, for a couple of folks that I probably wouldn't have been able to do nearly as much of my own work this past year probably goes out to Bridget Cogley, Sarah Nell, Rodriguez. You guys are awesome. You are my rock. And then also just the whole entire like moms who biz slack, even for those of you that don't really, you know, aren't super active on there all the time, know that I am thinking about you. Um, It's just like, I'm sometimes in and out of that slack all the time that I can't do everything that I possibly can during my daytime, but know that I'm like thinking about you guys all the time. So it has been a really good um, group for me to be involved in this past year. And I'm kind of excited to see where we grow in the upcoming months and year. 
Awesome. So with that, thanks for coming on, Christina. I loved it. Thanks, Zach. All right. Bye. Bye. Data Plus Love is recorded and produced by Zach Bowders. Our music track is We Are Legends by Alex Stoner. Hey, you're still here? Um, you're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in, probably something better. Um, thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash D-A-T-A-P-L-U-S-L-O-V-E. Um, just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolf man. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks to your patronage. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3, and you can get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one. You won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.